The unofficial end to summer is here. School has started for most, football season is upon us, and soon the leaves will be changing color. At the DSR Network, we remain as busy as ever with a full slate of podcasts scheduled for the fall. In the coming weeks, we'll be launching two new shows with new hosts, creating even more content for our members. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, bonus content, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of September, you'll receive 20% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SCHOOL at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SCHOOL. Thank you for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you, as usual, from Washington, D.C. Um, we are here today, as we do always in the middle of the week, to talk about foreign policy, national security. And of course, here with us is uh, the eternal Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law School. How are you doing, Rosa? Hi, David. See, she's eternal. And for the first time ever, in contrast to that, we have with us uh, Alex Ward, who is the national security um, reporter for Politico. How are you doing, Alex? Doing fine. Thanks for having me. I think this is a way of saying we've got a new person and a really old person, and I don't like it, David. <laughs> well, first of all, if there's a really old person here, it's me. It's not you. That's true. Good point. Uh, and secondly, um, eternal doesn't really mean that. Uh, it uh, it just means that you are you are essential to what we are and who we are. <laughs> um, uh, which is not to say you're not important, Alex. We're really glad that you could join us. No, happy to, I mean, it, it sounds like she's forever young. That's how I'm taking it. Oh, thank is... you, Alex. You can come back anytime you want. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad we're off to a good start here. There's a lot to talk about in the worlds of foreign policy and national security. Um, let me start with the fact that uh, we had a kind of an unusual um syzygy of foreign policy last week when the president was off at the G20 meeting. Could, could you please India. spell that? Syzygy. syzygy. Please spell for our listeners. S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. Syzygy. Very well done. Thank you. Um, do you. Do you know what a syzygy is? You know, I have this vague idea. It's when a bunch of astronomical stuff all happens together. Other than that, I cannot remember. Could you also please define it for us? That it's it's that that's absolutely right. It's when the I think it's the Earth and the Moon and the Sun line up in a certain kind of a way, and it has an effect on our tides and things. Um, but in this so particular case, feeling. well, yeah, this yeah, the impact of syzygy. 
Yeah. Right. But I was actually thinking about the fact that what we had was the president off at one big multilateral event and the vice president off at another big multilateral event. She was at uh, G at an ASEAN summit in Indonesia. He was traveling around the world, um, but notably at the G20 meeting in India, where he announced a big infrastructure project that would link everything from India to Europe together. Um, and had some meetings about the quad and and, and so forth. Um, and um, Alex, let's just start with you. Do, would you think this was an effective trip? I mean, you know, most Americans aren't paying attention, but we have an audience here of thousands of nerds who care about this. Uh, sure. I mean, I, I hope it was, you know, worthwhile. I did travel all the way to New Delhi for it. So, <laughs> um, you know, hopefully in the end it was all, all worth it. I mean, look, and did you stay healthy the whole way? No deli belly? Nothing. Um, however, I will say Modi shut down the, the whole city, basically, uh, and for security purposes. That's referred to as Imodium. Oh, nice. There you go. Uh, nice. So all that we could eat was a hotel. All that was open were hotel restaurants. So the hotel was, was perfectly fine. Um, so I, I, I left unscathed. Uh, look, I think... We, we can go into the deep min- minutia of what was agreed to. I think if the, but if you ask the Biden administration before the trip, you know, is success for you leaving New Delhi and even Hanoi later with a sense that the U.S. has a stronger friendship with major countries in Asia, a, a sense of place, a sense of direction, you know, would you consider that a success? And I think they would have said yes. And in which case you can make a strong argument that that's what Biden left Asia with. In India, he got closer to Modi. You've got that infrastructure deal that you mentioned, David. You've got, uh, you know, discussions about combating climate change. You've got consensus over the Ukraine war, although absent, of course, that blame of Russia for its uh, invasion. And in Vietnam, you've gotten a, 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 a lovingly Soviet name for the new strategic relationship, but it is an enhancement of that partnership. And in no small part because of how Vietnam is worried about China and the economic windfall it's enjoyed since the U.S.-China trade war. So Biden left, I think, with more than when he went in. Uh, Of course, time will tell him the minutiae, but in terms of the strategic direction, in terms of the narrative of what this administration is trying to do, and of course, with, you know, if this were a video game, the big bad is China, um, Russia, of course, as well, but in this space, China, then yeah, China was sort of more defeated, let's say, uh, after the trip overall. So I, I think the Biden administration left quite pleased with, with how it went. Well, for, what did you think, Rosa? I think one of the features of this G20 meeting was the absence of China and Russia. Uh, so Biden kind of had it all to himself. Yeah, and Biden was, of course, very gracious. He said, we're not trying to contain China. He would not want you to use that mean word, defeated, Alex. Um, we, we love China. We, we long for their success. Uh, we just would like them to play by the rules, uh, was Biden's message. And, and I actually think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm saying that a little bit, a little bit mockingly, but I also think it's, it was actually, you know, it's the right message to be sending. Um, to say, hey, we're we're not trying to keep you down, which is, of course, China's China's fear and the fear of many other nations um, around the world. Uh, we're not trying to keep you down economically. Um, we're trying to get you to be good partners, and, and admittedly, from the Chinese perspective, 
what that means is that we're trying to get you to play by by our rules, not not your rules. But nonetheless, I thought that having Biden say that very clearly, we're you know we're we're not you know we want you to succeed economically. That's not what this is about. Was was actually a useful message to send, um, and and you know. It it was overall a pretty good meeting, it seems to me, for the administration. You know, disappointing in terms of the message that came out on Ukraine, which was uh, uh, not exactly full of um, strong support. It was about as as wishy washy a statement as you could possibly get, basically restating the UN Charter uh, rather than saying anything remotely new. Um, um, uh, but but overall, you know, I, I think progress, uh, Biden should feel good about it. And it actually makes me kind of mad that so much of the <clears throat> U.S. news coverage has been devoted to scolding him for saying that it was bedtime. Um, I mean, I go on a, you know, I go on a five hour flight to Europe and it's bedtime. Uh, uh, poor guy. Uh, forget the fact that he's he's 80. Um, you know, these trips are incredibly punishing for anybody. I mean, Alex, you, you just did this trip. Um, they're exhausting. Um, and it does. It, it's a shame that the the so-called news here back at home has so much focused on. You know, did he look old? Did he seem old? Did he did he tell a stupid anecdote about John Wayne that nobody could quite follow? Which you know, yeah, he does that, but he's done that for decades. So I don't think that's a sign of age. Were you exhausted, Alex? Come on, admit it. Oh yeah. Did I'm, you want to go to bed? I mean, yeah. I, I I am now. Uh, but you know, it, it is what it is. <laughs> Alex is actually in bed as he does his podcast. <laughs> it's it, it's where I am mentally. I, I'm so I'm sorry. I'm probably low energy, Alex, today. But that is uh, what it is. Uh, I, two kind of things. One, I should probably stand up for Team Media since I am Team Media. Uh, but uh, look, I think that yes, there was a lot of well. Okay, stand up for them. But tell me, would you have written a story saying that Biden was in the basement while he was in the middle of a five days trip around the world? <laughs> Uh, that seemed to me to be a little bit excessive. No, I, 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 that's not my story to write. I will say in terms of, I think the, the cover, there was a bit of anger in general between the press corps and the administration, which we can talk about separately. But I think in this case... Ooh, yes, please. But I think, um, you know, when the, when the political narrative that matters the most right now to this administration is this president isn't old, he's vibrant, he's vigorous, he can go out there and do anything. Like, yes, he did do a five-day trip. I admit it's tough. For, for anyone, including this, you know, spry people like me in, in theory. Uh, but still, like to give that to give Republicans that line, uh, you know, it is noteworthy like that, because that's going to be a thing that's going to come back again and again. Um, I will say one thing about your point on his contain China comment. Uh, I find this to be really, really odd by the administration. The reason not that, that he said it, because that's been the messaging forever. I find it odd because in private, they're talking constantly about containing China. They're talking constantly about how all of this is kind of meant to be a troll. I mean, my goodness, the most undercovered part of the G20 was the photo that Biden took with the leaders of Brazil, India, and South Africa. You know, the parts of the BRICS (laughs) with, with Russia and China not being there. It was as big a troll of China as could be at this G20. And all of this stuff with the infrastructure deal, all this stuff with Vietnam, it's, of course, with China in mind. So don't give me this stuff about contain China. I totally get, and you're welcome to say, we're competing, we don't want confrontation. But like, all of this is about the U.S. is behind in many areas with China. We're trying to catch up, and we're trying to make sure that China isn't the top power and that we maintain it. So like, 
what what is this nonsense about like be upfront about what you're trying to do while trying to avoid escalation i find this quite baffling alex you you would not be a good diplomat if you want to be upfront about things that's just yeah. well but, but let's, right. let me let me let me pick up on that and let me let me ask you a question rosa and then as rosa answers it alex you can also uh, uh, formulate a response as well i think that's in some respects the critical distinction in china policy i mean containing china equates China with Russia during the Cold War. Competing with China is a rather different perspective. Um, There are people in the administration who are definitely containers. Well, that doesn't sound right, but you know what I'm saying. There are people in the administration who definitely, their view is we want to be people. There are occasional people of the brains of a Tupperware, let's face it. Most of them are much better. Right, but there, for there are people in the administration who have a zero-sum view, right? There are also people in the administration um, uh, who whose view is much more, you know, the, the, the new period in, in global affairs is about countries playing the U.S. off of China, the U.S. competing with China, China competing with the U.S., everywhere. Every trip we take is about this. Um, I, I think that defines the era. And frankly, I think one of the things that we have to get our brains around here is that every country in the world, including many of our friends, are going to play this game for the foreseeable future. The French are going to do it. The Germans are doing it. The Israelis are doing it. The Saudis are doing it. I mean, India is not doing it so much because they got some issues with China, but, but a lot of places are. What, what do you think of all this, Rosalind? Well, I mean, you know, I was sort of joking, obviously, when I said, you know, goodness, Alex, you can't be a diplomat if you're going to be honest. Um, you know, it just doesn't work that way. But, but not completely, right? I mean, I mean, doing one thing and saying something that's a bit different. I don't think that's accidental, and I don't think that's an unwise thing to do because I think in this particular game of diplomacy, the message, the overt message matters as much as the behind the scenes stuff. I mean, well, maybe not as much, but it certainly matters. Uh, let me put it that way. Um, you know, that, that, that I, I usually think that on some level, you know, nation states are, it's not that different in international relations than it is in junior high school, right? I mean, I mean, nation states need to save face and who has power, who does not have power, who has what alliances, you know, that there is a piece of that that is about, that is about the courtesies and following the courtesies, even if you're secretly trying to undermine somebody else, you know? Um, and, and I, I actually think, you know, partly, partly for the reasons that David mentioned, you know, it's, Sending that message, and it's a nuanced message. It's, and it's a message. Yet we are competing. Yes, yes. That's why we're doing this with Vietnam. You know, that's why we're standing here in this photo op. You know, that's why we're doing this infrastructure deal with India and Europe. We're trying to broker that. You know, because we are worried about China's uh, uh, out competing us. You know, we are we are worried about China's growing influence. Absolutely. I mean, the Chinese know that we're worried about that. Um, the, the danger I think is not that the Chinese aren't going to figure it out or haven't somehow noticed that we're concerned about it. The danger is that it escalates too much, you know, that it gets a little too overheated. And I think that we were, I think that's where we were a few months ago, 
you know, that their tensions had really gotten very, very high, slightly dangerously high. And I think the temperature has been lowered a little bit, which is a good thing. And, and you're right. Does that fundamentally change the fact that we see China as a threat in numerous respects? No. I mean, that's, that's absolutely right. <laughs> that's the same. But, but keeping the temperature from getting too high, I think, is a, a, a genuine and important diplomatic goal. And I, I took Biden's comments to be calibrated to, to try to be saying, yeah, guys, yeah, you know, you got, you know, we know, but let's not let's not let this get out of control at the same time. You know, we're still going to all play nice together, uh, you know, unless we absolutely can't. And that's what we want to do. That's, that's actually an important message to send was, was at least how I read it. Yeah. In fact, you know, Alex, one of the things that strikes me is, you know, every administration starts out having to deal with the hangover of being in a campaign. And so there is strong language, you know, and, and when people say things that, you know, linger on, but don't actually work in practicality. There's always more beating up with China on China in a campaign than there is in 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 office. And in the case of um, this last campaign, another thing uh, that I think was overstated was it's autocracies versus democracies. And in fact, there is a speech given today, the day we're recording this, by the Secretary of State, in which he was talking about. We, we now realize we have to work with a lot of these countries that don't share our views. Uh, so that's modulated. And I think the China thing has modulated. Uh, and so I think the Biden foreign policy that was manifest on this trip represents an evolution. But that's, I mean, you, you may have a different view. No, I, I think that's right. What I would say then, and this, again, uh, putting my angry reporter hat on, which I've never been accused of being a good diplomat, so I'm glad I can continue to do this. Um, it's not an insult. No, no, I didn't take it as one. Um, is when you point stuff like this out, like let's just take the human rights bit, right? I mean, this and just as one example, this is an administration that came in saying they were going to put human rights at the center, quote unquote, of its foreign policy. Okay, all well and good. Then you know, it's a bunch of things happen, but most notably, you have Biden going to Saudi Arabia last year. I was there as well, uh, also jet lagged fist bump with MBS, you know, as a rapprochement, we're competing with China there too. We don't, we want China, we don't want China to be better friends. And then you had the administration go, oh, no, 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 no. We're still putting human rights at the center of our foreign policy. And it's by talking to MBS in private about it. Okay, fine. Now you have this trip, which in my view was kind of had many more fist bumps, right? You've got the palling around with Modi. You've got the handshake with MBS. You've got the friendship with Vietnam. Like none of those people are human rights stalwarts. And yet you point this out to the administration. They go, no, 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 no. This is still human rights because look, we have 100 or something, 12 words in our 2000 word statement about human rights. Biden brought it up in private again. And what anyone who cares about human rights would say is like, if you're going to put it at the the center, you got to do sort of one of two things, but preferably both. One is speak up in public about it a lot, even if the person is right next to you in a press conference. Or number two is offer punishments of these people and don't pal around with them at G20 or give them strategic comprehensive partnerships or whatever they're going to call it. So what I guess to say it is an evolution or in a way, this is how the administration has been doing it. But the reason it's irking people is because they refuse to back down from the previous stance. They refuse to say that things have changed. They're saying that they're the same. 
that they're meeting all the requirements that they've uh, set for themselves when they're manifestly not. And for this administration, for this president to say, to get angry when people question him about his human rights stuff, I get that he cares about human rights in general. I, I get that. And he says, well, I mentioned it and every opportunity I got. I didn't hear it. I was there. I didn't I, I didn't hear him talk about these things, you know, uh, a lot. I didn't it didn't seem like it was a priority for this trip. So anyway, I, I'm here. I'm with where, where you are, David, but and Rosa. But I think this administration is refusing to sort of admit where these changes have happened. You know, one of the places where I find this a little discomforting, Rosa, is in the 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 feeling in this administration, um, which I'm generally pretty supportive, that because China is such a big deal, we have to embrace anybody else wholeheartedly. And and the one that's gotten under my skin recently um, is India. Where here is Modi, who has not taken steps in the right direction on democracy, who's promoting an ethno-nationalist agenda that's, you know, a little bit akin to Putin and a little bit akin to Bibi Netanyahu and so forth. And 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 but because we want to contain China, we want the Quad to work, you need India and the Quad. And because we want to contain China. Uh, and India has got natural antipathy towards China, and they're big, and in fact, bigger than China in terms of population now. We need India. Uh, and I, I think we sort of go too far in that regard. Do you agree, Rosa? You know, I do think that that that's right, David, and I and I agree with Alex as well. I think that's a, that's a fair critique. And I, I actually think part of what it comes down to is that politicians in general are, are not they, they underestimate the potential intelligence of of the the American people because I because I do think it would be possible for Biden to say, you know what, folks, um, we're always struggling to stand up for human rights and at the same time recognize that there are strategic and security interests that sometimes cut in the other direction and that's a really hard balance to strike, you know. And I do try to mention this. I, I try to talk about the human rights issues whenever possible. However, there are moments where that's not going to be where that's not going to be on the front burner for various reasons. This is one of those moments. It's a tough call. I, I don't know if we always get it exactly right, but this is what we are struggling with. I, I actually think that's a message that most people are perfectly capable of comprehending. And I do think you're right, Alex. It, when you simply say, "What are you talking about? We're backing away from human rights," you know, no, we're not. Um, that just sounds like what? <laughs> of course you are. I mean, and if you are, just say, yeah, you know, we're we really want to be championing human rights. Right now, we have kind of a different, urgent problem, and right now, that's what we're focusing on. But don't worry, we're going to come back to you know, we, we haven't forgotten that. That's actually a more palatable message, and I think people are able to 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 understand that. That being said, I, I uh, worked at one point earlier in my life in the uh, State Department's Human Rights Bureau. Um, and we were very happy if we get 112 words into the speech. Boy, if we could get like, you know, 17 words, we thought we were pretty lucky. We were, you know, fighting for every extra letter. Um, it, you know, and so I think that that, you know, this is not a Biden problem. This is a perennial foreign policy problem that, that human rights are super important until something else is more important. And, you know, the human rights is always treated as the, as the little extra 
And I think that although certainly under President Obama and under President Biden, there there's a deep intellectual awareness and commitment to the idea that the security interests and the human rights interests aren't at odds with each other. You know, that in the long run, you know, states that respect democracy, human rights and the rule of law are likely to be better allies, you know, that that is better for international stability, is better for U.S. interests, that they absolutely get that. Um, but I think that the, you know, the, the, the urgent overtakes the important all the time. Yeah, that certainly does. And in fact, this is, you're, you're absolutely right. It's perennial, particularly with, you know, Republicans cut the word human rights out of, you know, the State Department website. Um, Democrats put the words human rights back in. But when Democrats go further and actually start implementing policies that are tied to human rights, uh, there is such a hue and cry that there's pushback. Jimmy Carter is an example of that. Um, uh, but, but just you wait, because when they come up with this Israel-Saudi normalization deal and we start making promises to the Saudis like we're going to you know, have a security guarantee with them, this issue is going to be strained to the breaking point, I think. Um, we only have a couple minutes here. Uh, you know, I don't want to put you in a bad position here, Alex, but a minute ago you said there were, you know, tensions between the press corps and the administration um, on this trip. Could you characterize those? Well, I think it was just gen- generally speaking, um, you know, that the Vietnam trip that Biden sort of out of nowhere one day said, oh, I'm going to Vietnam. And for a while, the press is going, OK, when's he going to Vietnam? When's he going to Vietnam? When's he going to Vietnam? It was finally formally announced, you know, pretty close to the G20. And this led to just a lot of generally logistical issues, including for myself, like how am I going to get myself from India to Vietnam? I couldn't in the end. Um, and this was just and there's just been general problems overall with, as I was explaining, with the human rights thing, like what the one thing that a lot of reporters, especially on my beat, are annoyed with, and again, speaking generally, um, is, you're right, these issues are perennial. There's a lot of through line through this administration on, on, with past administrations, but they refuse to kind of say that. They're like, oh, we are a transformative administration. A lot of things have changed on our watch. And you can make that case on international economics, I think, almost you know, perfectly fine. But there is a lot of through line. And anytime you point it out, they're saying, no, we're doing X, Y, Z things because it's different this time and China this time. And they are justifying, for example, um, the closeness with Saudi because of the ceasefire in Yemen. And that's a, that's a human rights win. And you can debate both sides of that. Right. Um, but that they count, they use like human rights, for example, as a way to justify real politic moves. And so I'm just trying to say that when it comes to uh, the press, it's just that this has been a constant tension. And such a constant fight. And on top of that, with logistical issues, it's just like there is just a bit of and not animosity, but I think the press corps is kind of over it. You know, that whatever honeymoon existed is far from over. And if it wasn't, this trip ended. That's interesting. That's that's interesting. Do you you think it was worse? Do you think this trip? I'm just curious. Can you say a little bit more about that? That was anything in particular on this trip that was it was it just the slow accumulation of irritants or was there something in particular that that you think shifted things yeah i'm, I'm i for, for com you know for, for confidence reasons i can't go too deep into it but i, I can just say that the logistical reasons uh, the logistical issues uh again with the administration being very late in announcing vietnam right because for, for those who don't know for us in the press corps like what will generally happen 
is a trip is announced and behind the scenes with the White House Correspondents Association, et cetera, a bunch of arrangements are made so press can can cover it. Uh, because of the lateness, just that normal flow got compressed and that just naturally led to some complications. And nothing makes people more mad than travel complications. This is this is very true and well known. Yeah, well, well, you know, people are people, and I think it's a good point. And frankly, I, 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 I think your point earlier is a good point, which is people can handle the nuance. And uh, you know, this I, I believe this administration has been transformative, ending forever wars, shifting to. Indo-Pacific as a primary focus, revitalizing alliances, changing policies on international economics. And I think when you have a record that that's good, you should be confident enough about it to talk about the places where there are inherent contradictions or difficult issues. Um, this is the point in the podcast where we, 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 we take a little bit of a pause. We say thanks to everybody in the general public for listening. And that if you want to listen to the rest of it, you're going to have to be a member. That's not a big deal. You just go to the dsrnetwork.com, click on membership. It's five bucks a month. It's like the price of a Substack, but way more content and charming people like the people you're listening to now. So go do that if you want to listen to the rest. And uh, until you do, if you're in the general public, we'll just say goodbye. Uh, if you're a member, stand by because we're going to keep on going. <laughs>